Well, it's an honor to be introduced as one of your old friends today. (laughs) My favorite meme I've seen lately says, my phone has an app that shows me what I'll look like when I'm old. It's called Camera. And uh, I increasingly find that to be true, that just the normal picture reveals to me that I am an old friend of people. I found it a privilege to come three weeks every summer while Wade and Heather got away for many years, and then to be invited into the teaching team while you were between ministers. And now I so appreciate Josh a couple times inviting me to come, and I'm extremely thankful for your friendship with and your love for Josh and his family, and I I celebrate that today. I don't know a lot about the Enneagram, but what I do know is that those of you who are Enneagram ones are going to hate this sermon. You're, You're perfectionists, as I understand it. You like things to be fair. And if you like things to be fair, I'm guessing this text, this message may not sit that well because it's not going to feel fair. Or even if you don't know what number you are, and many of the days I don't even know what I am, but if you're one of those but you like fairness, it's going to be a challenge. If you're one of those that you think second-degree murder should give you 15 years in jail, and cutting in line at the theater 25 years in jail, and going through the tin or under counter at the grocery store with 25 items should be life in prison if you're one of them. This will be tough. Sally Brown wouldn't have liked it. I guess that's her last name, Charlie Brown's little sister. We'll see it on TV endlessly on loop here for a while. Sally is making her endless list for Christmas, all the toys she wants, and at the end she just says, and if it's all too heavy, just send cash. Charlie is offended at his sister's greed, and she snaps at him, all I want is what's fair. I just want what's coming to me. And I guess that's sometimes all we want. We just want things to be fair. We want quid pro quo, something for something. Equal pay for equal work. We've come to value all of those, and that makes this text sit uneasy for us. But as I read it, let the words of Jesus rock us again as they always have. And as I read them, I'll mention that this week I was on a plane to go be with one of my best friends in life, Landon Saunders, who passed away while I was in the air. And by the way, his funeral will be after the first of the year in Dallas. I know many of you were impacted by Landon, and ACU has a new center name for Landon Saunders. But as I read it, I think of his whole life inviting people to keep re-experiencing the good news through the life and words of Jesus Christ. So hear these words from Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. 
About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, did the same thing. And, catch this, about five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, will you also go and work in my vineyard? When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and, drum roll, each received a denarius. So when those came who had been hired first, they expected to receive more, of course. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Word of the Lord, let's pray. Oh God, as so often the words of Jesus can upend us. But as they do, will you recalibrate our vision of the kingdom today? May we see the magnificent, unfathomable, scandalous generosity. And this week, as people all around us break out in thanksgiving, may ours be in response to this generosity. Toward that end, oh God, please pour through me now the gift of preaching. In Jesus we pray, amen. We drop down today into the world of viticulture and viniculture, the world of raising grapes and the world of making wine. And I'm no expert about it, but I do know this, that when the grapes are ready, you better bring them in. For one thing, the grapes are ready, and if you don't bring them in, a storm may come, and then you're in trouble. But even more than that, when they hit that point of sweetness that they need to come in. If you don't, then they could burst or rot or the birds just find them irresistible. Now today, it's a matter of science. A graduate of the A&M Viticultural Department would just take some grapes, bring it in, crush them, and a computer would tell them the sweetness is just right. But back then, well, if you knew, you knew. 
And so maybe one night right before bed, the landowner goes out, he grabs a couple grapes off of his field, and he says, tomorrow, they've got to come in tomorrow. So the next morning, he's in his flatbed truck, and he goes to the labor center. And he says, I need workers, come on in, a denarius for the day. Of course, that was standard pay. Basically, a day's pay for a day's work. So a bunch of them get on. It's seven, eight, uh, six in the morning. They're going to go out to the field. That means that for 12 hours, they're going to go through the early morning fog and then the heat of the day on into when it starts to cool. 12 hours for enough food for a day. Give us this day our daily bread. You don't get rich on a denarius, but you and your family eat. So for 12 hours... You're going to cut clusters of grapes. You're going to put them in a bucket. You're going to haul the bucket over to the wine press, and you're going to go back, rinse, repeat. Same thing all through the day, but the owner's got to get the grapes in. And he he realizes about mid-morning, I need more workers. So back he goes in the flatbed truck, and he says, I need more workers. Come on, I'll pay you what's fair. There's no amount specified, just, I'll pay you what's fair, more get on, and he comes back. He does it again at noon, and then remarkably does it again at three in the afternoon. But even after that, there's now just an hour of work left. It's five in the afternoon, and he's still worried the grapes have to come in. So back he goes, and one of the questions would be, who are the guys standing around at five in the afternoon? You know, Few, few nubs of a cigarette left, maybe a little flask on the side here. Nobody asked us. But he doesn't care. He's not there to judge. He's there to get the grapes in. And so it's like, come on, I'm the, let's go. Everybody get in. And back to the field they go to work. All right, if we hit the pause button here, we've got a nice story of Jesus. There are questions, of course. But at least there's no scandal. The scandal starts when we hit the pause button again, and the story goes on to payday. Because it's now 6 p.m., it's time to pay. The book of Deuteronomy was so concerned about the working poor that it says you pay them that day because they've got to eat. You don't pay them when it's convenient for you or whenever the default mode on your software is. You pay them that day so their family can eat. So, not surprisingly, because this part of Matthew is enamored with the last will be first, the first will be last, the people who came at the end, the five o'clock workers, the ones that came for one hour, they get in line first. And here I am in back, because I always picture myself one of the 12-hour workers in the story, and I think, okay, denarius divided by 12, or whatever that is, a twelfth of a denarius. But I watch as each one of them puts their palm out And they get a denarius. That's good news for two people, I think. It's unbelievable good news for them. Who would have thought that they would get a whole denarius? And it's even better news for me. The landowner has more money than I knew. The landowner is generous. I guess I'll get 12 denarii today. I'm texting my wife, honey, it'll be not just bread tonight, but bread and fish. I'll pick it up on the way home. I'm puzzled as the three-hour workers come, and they get their denarius. Then the six-hour workers and the nine-hour workers, 
but I'm just about to fall over. When I step up, having worked 12 hours in the heat of the day, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, trying to save his grapes, and a denarius is put in my hand. Now, at 6 a.m., that sounded pretty good. My family's going to eat tonight. But now, it's like sour grapes. The bitter taste in my mouth because it's not fair. Not fair. I'd love this denarius if that guy got a twelfth of a denarius, but he got a full denarius, and so I'm not loving this right now. Well, let me mention to those of you who are out in business, what kind of a business practice would that be, by the way? Anybody learn this in your school of business when you got your degree? This is the way to go about your practice? Probably not. Because the next day when the farmer goes back, when the landowner goes back, who's he going to find at 6 a.m.? Nobody. Because word's gotten around. It's the same pay at 5 in the afternoon. It doesn't seem like a good long-term plan. And that's where the unfairness is. He could have told other stories. He could have told the story of two term papers. I taught Bible, freshman Bible 15 years at ACU, often assigned term papers. So on day one, the professor announces there will be a term paper in this class, 10 pages. You can choose from these topics, but I want it to look strong, well-researched. You've been in classes. You know how it goes. There is a small percentage of students, and by that I mean extremely small, who leave the classroom, go back to the dorm, and they're on it. They're breaking it down. Which topic will it be? And right away, they've got a plan. They go do some research. They start making some cards, some notes. It's there in Evernote. And now they're starting to piece it together with an outline all through the semester so that on the last day, they come to class, and boom, it's ready to slap down. There are other students in the class uh, who forgot to take their syllabus with them. They didn't even hear the part about a term paper, thought nothing about it. They were a little alarmed the week before when the professor reminded them that your term paper will be due during the final next week, and they're like, we had a term paper? But even that does not alarm them over the last weekend, because the last weekend before finals, that's me time. So the night before, they dig down into those renowned sources of scholarship, Wikipedia and Reddit. And they start filling out, you know, blathering there at the end. They find out their, their roommate reminds them, how do you set it from 1.0 spacing to 1.25 so the prof professor can't tell? You can write about eight pages. It now looks like almost ten. And these two groups of students come to the final but right before they turn them in, the professor says, you know, you've been a great class. I've loved teaching it. You've been so attentive. I'm just alive with this topic. And so just, just as a gift to this class, turn your term papers in. But I want you to know, everybody gets an A. How does this group feel like? It's a ticker tape parade. Who knew Wikipedia and Reddit 
could you lead, lead you to the top of the honors roll? But if you were one of the ones that toiled in the library and pieced it together and wrote and rewrote, I mean, you were shooting for an A, right? And you get an A, but just not fair. Well, it could be that. Or, or, or he could have told the story of um, the two school loans. Student number one comes, and she's determined she's going to blow through school. She's going to take big loads, work as a barista at night and on weekends, and she's going to graduate with as little debt as possible. So she gets to the end of four years, and she only owes $10,000. That was not her roommate's philosophy. (laughs) Her roommate was on the five- or six-year plan. They came with retaking classes and slow loads and not working but enjoying it so that when it was graduation time, she owed 80000 But at graduation, the president gets up and says, I have unbelievable news. A donor we didn't even know about approached us. We didn't approach them. Approached us and gave us a windfall donation. And so I want you to know today that we are going to wipe out your school debt. That which you owe us, that which you owe the federal government, we're going to pay it. Well, if you owe 80000 and you didn't do anything during those years of school, you just you can't believe your luck. But if you worked hard, kind of sour grapes. Or just to bring it down a notch, he could have told the story of the two church work days. Especially if you came from a kind of a rural church. You remember in the rural church, there'd be work days on Saturday because there needs to be some work in the children's wing. Rather than hire it out, we're all going to show up and we're going to do it. From 8 to 12, it'll be work day and then we'll have pizza. Well, you remember how that goes. You've got a bunch of people. Boy, at 7.30, they're there. They got their tool belts and their mops and their buckets. They're ready to go, wondering where the staff is with the key to the building. And the moment the doors open, they are working feverishly. And then, about 11.30, there are a couple guys who couldn't get there before because it's Saturday and they had a tea time at 7. I mean, you know, first things first. But they're going to come, of course. So they quickly, as quickly as they could, because they love their church, they're going to get through their 18 holes and then they're going to rest there. They come in at 11.30 and there's a little bit of wipe down that they can do, but... Basically, they don't have tools to clean or anything. So when the line opens for pizza, who's in line first? They are, and they're starving. Golf was so hard today. And they get in line and eat all of the meat-only pizza. The people who got there early finally struggled through, and all that's left is eggplant pizza. Why bother? It's a bit of a problem, this story of Jesus. I'm guessing the Jews wouldn't have loved it. I mean, our people, centuries back, all the way back to Abraham, we've kept the Ten Commandments, we've kept the sacrifices, we've kept the Sabbath, we've done all of these things. And now, and now you want us to take in these 11th hour people? I'm guessing Peter did not love it because Peter had just said to him in the previous chapter, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Kind of, what's in it for us? 
And just after this story, James and John say to him through their mother, when we get to the place of power, may we sit on your right hand. This would have felt scandalous, but this is honest truth here. doesn't feel good to me. Because as I said, I, you know, just typically think of myself as one of the 12-hour workers. I grew up Church of Christ. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, VBS, summer camp, Harding University, the whole, the whole shmeal. That was, that was the life I came out of in the Ozarks. And we have pictures my little bro- of my little brother and me. Uh, they're after church pictures. We've got a whole series of them in it. Back then, even the kids wore, wore suits, you know. My brother's already got his coat off and his tie is off, and he's looking sideways like, don't even. I'm there with my suit and my tie still on and a Bible half my size looking right into the camera. My brother calls it our series of, guess which one's going to be a preacher photos. (laughs) And so, yeah, it feels funny, this story, at places. Jesus says to them, it's not unfair, is it? And, and I get the point. It's his money, his terms, and so on. And yet, let's be honest, it doesn't pass the smell test. It just kind of feels wrong, especially if you're one of the ones that was there. One of the ones that was doing this work all of this time. And, and yet, I... I do sometimes wonder, why does it feel so wrong that God would be generous? I like, there's a story in the Jewish Talmud that I prefer. The Jewish Talmud has a story just about like that, but the kicker at the end is the owner explains, but the guy that came at the end did as much work in one hour as the others did all day long. All right, I'm on board for that. But this other... What do we do with it? We get triggered by the unfairness of it, by the generosity. And in this topsy-turvy world, the first are last and the last are first. But is that right? Makes no sense. Well, unless you're a mom and you've got four kids... And three of them are high achievers, and the other has gone from addiction program to addiction program. And if if you're that mom, then you get it. You get that while there may be an unfairness about it, there is a generosity out of your heart that grows out of your maternal love so that you keep giving. You keep letting your heart break. You never let go, even if at times it's tough love. And when she dies, people are shocked to find out she divided her estate four ways. 25, 25, 25, 25. Because they were all hers, and love couldn't tolerate limits. Or picture you're the father and you've got these two sons and one of them wants to cash out his inheritance early on and he goes into a far country and lives with riotous living and comes home with his tail between his legs. And the father 
throws a party and kills the fatted calf and has a robe and a ring. And the other son comes out and he feels the unfairness. It's scalding him. His heart is not soft. He says, I stayed here. I did your work. And this one went away and came back in the fall. How do you explain? You're the dad. I have two sons. I've always got two sons. You were always here. He was gone and has come back. How do you explain it? You're a thief on a cross, and there's nothing you deserve, but you start up a conversation with this other man on a cross next to you, and before it's over, he turns to you and says, I tell you the truth, this day you'll be with me in paradise. There are a lot of theological attempts to try to prove that that didn't mean the thief was saved, and they share this in common. They are all wrong. They get there differently. But it's just unfair. It's unfathomable. And so I wonder, what if for just, the, just for an experiment, what if I, in the parable, made Jesus the 12-hour worker? Because, goodness, nobody loved to work in the, in the Father's kingdom more than Jesus. From the break of dawn to the close of the day, Jesus went about his Father's business. What if he's the 12-hour worker? Oh, well, that's it. Then where am I in this story? Maybe I'm an 11th hour worker at best. I'm probably more like the guy that showed up at 545 and was handed the thing just to punch out. It's a radical story. And I think a blessed one to send us into Thanksgiving week. Because the scandalous question at the end is, are you envious because I'm generous? I think subconsciously I like to live with the sense that I'm getting what I deserve, that I'm on some kind of manifest destiny where everything that's come to me was my right and I've worked for it, I've earned it. And Thanksgiving bursts through that bubble and says, no, it's a response to the generosity to a God who owes you nothing. But acts out of his love, like the wounded father, like the wounded mother who would never let go. I thought about it yesterday. I did a funeral in New Jersey yesterday afternoon for one of my uncles whose life was failure after failure after failure until it wasn't. Until he hit rock bottom, showed up in a room with a bunch of drunks and finally admitted he had a problem. And then, having found life there, he went on and began working for AA, their home office in New York City. Did his best to repair with his sons, with his grandchildren to do life right, to try to bless other people. Now, as lifespan goes, it came way too late. But what a joy to do that funeral. Because we all love a good redemption story. 
And to think, I had this text coming up on Sunday with the Preston Road Church and could rejoice in God's generosity to and through and despite my uncle. God's driving his truck out in the labor centers. Some are standing there ready to go at 6 a.m., Others are having a final smoke and taking a swig out of the flask at five. But he wants workers in his vineyard, and so he just keeps broadcasting the good news. There is work in the vineyard. Get on the truck. Let's go. We can grumble about it, or we can be joyful, celebrating that we are in the owner's vineyard and telling others about it, that it's never too late. It's never too late. Maybe somebody here needs to hear that. Even though you kind of snuck in with a lot of people that seem to you like 12-hour workers, the gospel is telling you it's never too late. God wants workers in his vineyard. What drives the story of Jesus is the endless, bottomless, scandalous love of God. It is not fair. Thank God. Let's pray. May we receive the good news today, O oh God, of the love of Christ poured out among us. May all here today receive this wonder of your generosity. Call us again into your vineyard. The workers are few. The need is great. But may we this week give thanks again and again that we serve a generous God whose love is high and deep and wide. We give you thanks in Jesus Christ. Amen.